The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. where my wife and I are members named Laurie McGuire and she and Haley are very good friends and and I'm so glad I've had the opportunity to hear you sing tonight well thank you so much for coming now there's something that I either have to settle in my own mind all right when you get my age you become forgetful I saw my wife on the street the other day and I said uh, I've seen you somewhere before. <laughs> and she said, well, I'm your wife. I said, I knew I'd seen you somewhere before. Sunday morning, was there not an organ over here? <laughs> well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but somebody stole your organ. <laughs> and I'm the first one in the church to have even noticed it. So. I hope you find it. Well, we're having a good time. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm just so excited about what God is doing in my life here. He's blessing me. He's blessing me. I tell you, if you were to travel with me across America week after week and church after church and see some of the stuff I have to see, I I, I sometimes feel like Ezekiel. Lord, can these dry bones live? But, uh, boy, this is a sweet place, a wonderful place. And I believe you have the most joy-filled choir I've ever seen. If they're not, they're hypocrites because they sure look like it. But uh, I was looking for you in the choir tonight, and I couldn't find you, and you were standing right here in front of me. I'm telling you, when you get older, you lose several things. All right. Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Now, I have, I've, I've really, this is a new sermon that I'm going to preach tonight, and I've really struggled with the Lord about it, because it's not a... It's not a typical revival sermon. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure where it would fit, but uh, God told me to share it with you tonight, so I'm going to do my very best to be obedient to Him and share with you what these verses are about. But, but I really believe that this is what God has laid on my heart for this service, and that's, that's enough. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. And then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil, with a demon. But he answered her, Not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then came she and worshipped him. That means she bowed down. She knelt before him. 
saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. This passage of Scripture presents Jesus in a different light than we've ever seen him anywhere else. As a matter of fact, there are some that have so much trouble with this passage of Scripture, they, they believe this is not even the real Jesus, this is an imposter. In these verses that I've read for you, Jesus seems to be very hard and very calloused, very uncaring and insensitive. We've never seen him like this before. There are some who say that Jesus is feeling great pressure. You see, he had become so popular that everywhere he went, great throngs of people, the Bible says multitudes, that means thousands. He had become so popular that everywhere he went, people were coming. Everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wanted to hear him. And everybody wanted to say, well, I've seen him and I've heard him. And, and so there are some who say that Jesus was feeling the, the, the pressure of the throng of the people so intently that he was on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. There are many who believe that. That this is a passage of Scripture that shows Jesus under great pressure on the verge of an emotional upheaval. Otherwise, why would he have treated this woman this way? Others say, no, he, uh, he's, uh, he's feeling the, the pressure of the hostility of those who hated him. They were constantly trying to discredit him. They were constantly trying to assassinate his character. And so that's why he's acting like he's acting. So unusual, so strange, peculiar for him. Well, go back up to verse 15, verse 21 that I read at the beginning. A casual reading, you might miss this. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. Now that's very significant. Tyre and Sidon were cities of Phoenicia. Jesus spent all of his earthly ministry in what you and I would call the Holy Land. He never left it. His entire earthly ministry was in the Holy Land. And the Holy Land consisted of four entities. There was Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, Galilee in the north, and on the east side was Perea. 
Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and Perea. And Jesus spent all of his earthly ministry in the Holy Land in one of those four countries. This is the only time he ever left the Holy Land. The only time. In his earthly ministry, this is the only time he left the Holy Land. And of all places, he goes to Phoenicia. Now you have to understand, in the Jewish world, Phoenicia was considered an unclean country. No respectable Jew would ever ever set foot in Phoenicia. Because for a Jew to go to Phoenicia would render that Jewish person as spiritually defiled and morally unclean. And no Jew would have gone there. And yet Jesus did. The only time he ever left the Holy Land, he goes to Phoenicia, an unclean country. Now, why did he do it? Well, it wasn't because he was feeling the pressure. It wasn't because of the hostility of the, of the religious leaders that were so hateful toward him. There are two reasons why Jesus went to Phoenicia. Number one, he went there to teach his disciples a lesson they desperately needed to learn. Go back up to verse 1. And I want you to see something. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem. Now listen, scribes and Pharisees were everywhere. All over the Holy Land there were scribes and Pharisees. But when you were a scribe or a Pharisee from Jerusalem, you were somebody. You were a big shot. And when they showed up, it was almost in that mindset, it was almost like God himself had arrived. And if you didn't believe the scribes and Pharisees were big boys and important and somebody, all you had to do was ask them and they would tell you how important they were. And so here come these scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem, and look what they say in verse 2. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Jesus, you and your disciples are not measuring up. You're not living up to the law of the elders. You're not fulfilling the tradition of the elders. As a matter of fact, you're breaking the tradition of the elders. Now, the tradition of the elders had a lot of little old minute laws, and, but there were three basic ingredients in the tradition of the elders. Number one, the tradition of the elders said, God only cares about Jews. God cares nothing about anyone else. God cares nothing about non-Jews, no matter who they are or where they live. The only people God cared about were Jews. That was the first basic tenet in the tradition of the elders. 
The second basic tenet was this. When the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, he will only have dealings with Jewish people. When the Messiah comes, he will be the champion of Israel. He will be their great military leader. And his only (coughs) dealings with non-Jewish people will be to destroy them, to kill them, to put them down. When the Messiah comes, he will only deal positively with Jews. And the third basic tenet of the tradition of the elders was this. Only Jews were the children of God. Only Jews were God's children, and everybody else was a dog. And that doesn't mean a dog with pedigree and papers. That means an old cur dog that wandered the streets eating garbage that people had thrown out. Only Jews were God's children. Everybody else was just an old, mangy, garbage-eating, mongrel dog. And so that's what these scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem came to Jesus complaining about. You are not obeying the tradition of the elders. Now, what do you think Jesus is going to say to these guys? Do you think Jesus is going to say, Well, man, I'm so very sorry. I didn't intend to do that. You, you understand, we've been in so many places and so many people, and folks are always asking questions, always wanting to go. And so if, if, I've, if I or my disciples, if we have, if we have <clears throat> spoken out or done anything against the tradition of the elders, I want you to know I'm so very sorry. I apologize and... We'll try to do better. You think that's what Jesus is going to do? Well, if you do, you don't know him very well. Look in verse 7. Jesus said, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus looked at those big shots, those big boys, those scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem who had accused him and his disciples of breaking the tradition of the elders. Jesus said, you men are hypocrites. You're wearing a false face. You're wearing a mask. You profess one thing and you live another way. You're a hypocrite. And Isaiah 700 years ago wrote about you saying that you would be men who would substitute the doctrine of God with your own traditions and commandments. And that's exactly what you've done. You do not worship God with your heart. You just speak toward Him with your lips and you're hypocrites. Now, while Jesus was castigating those guys, I mean, you can't find anything kind in that. I mean, he ripped them up, chewed them up, spit them out, poured salt in the wound. He evermore got them. Now, the disciples were standing over here watching that. They were seeing Jesus dress down these hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. Now, what do you think they're going to do? 
Do you think they're going to be over there saying, Hey, man, Jesus, get them. Go get them. They're wrong. They're just ungodly. Get them. Hey, get them, Lord. Do you think that's what they're going to do? No. Look in verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Lord, do you know what you've done? Jesus, do you have any idea what you just did? Do you know who those men were that you called hypocrites? Do you know who the... Lord, do you know how important those guys are? Do you not know that they can open doors for us? Don't you know that those men have such power and influence that they can make life good for us or they can make life bad for us? Lord, you have insulted them. You have offended them. That's in verse 12. Now, what do you think Jesus is going to say to these disciples? Do you think he's going to say, men, I don't know what came over me. The heat of the moment got to me, and I'm just under so much pressure. And, 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 and men, I, I tell you, I'm going to go to those guys, and I'm going to make it right. I, I'm going to make it right. Now, do you think Jesus is going to say that? Oh, you're learning him. Look in verse 14. Jesus said, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. Jesus, you've offended them. I know what I've done, and I really don't give a flip. You just let them alone. Amen? Amen. Well, I like Jesus, don't you? Amen. You say, Brother Bob, I love Jesus. I love him too, but I like him. There are some people I love I really don't like, but I like Jesus. I'm telling you, he just didn't take, he didn't take much from many folks. And he, he said, just let them alone. I'm not worried about what they think. I'm not worried about what they have done to me or to you. And then Jesus said, boys, pack your bags. We're going on a field trip. You see, when Jesus saw his own disciples defending those scribes and Pharisees who had substituted their commandments for the very word of God, Jesus knew those guys needed to learn a lesson. And so he said, boys, pack your bags, we're going on a trip. Yes, sir. He didn't tell them where they were going. So they come, they got their bags packed, and they start moving up northwest in Galilee, and they keep going, and they keep going. And one of the disciples says, my soul, does he know where we're does he know where he's going? I mean, we're, we're just right here almost to the border, and you know what's on the other side of the border. Once we cross the border, we're in Phoenicia, the unclean country. And all people up there are so ungodly, and they're so immoral, and they're so dead and spiritually unfit and unclean and morally bankrupt. Oh, does he know where he's going? And he kept getting closer and closer. And they said, oh, God, please turn him, please turn He didn't turn. He went straight over. I promise you none of those 12 guys would have ever gone there had he not led them there. And so when he crossed over, they said, well, we're just well to go. He's over there now. And so they go on. And when they get over into 
those Phoenician cities, Tyre and Sidon, here comes a woman. And that's the second reason why Jesus goes to Phoenicia. Not only is he going to teach these disciples a lesson they desperately needed to learn, there's a woman over there that needed him. And Jesus will always go where people need him. And so this woman, the Bible says she's a Canaanite woman. That means she was not a child of Abraham. She had no claim to the promises of God. She had no part of any covenant God had ever made. She was just a Canaanite woman, a pagan woman at one time in her life. But this woman is an unusual woman because she does three things. Number one, she confesses Jesus as Lord. If you'll look in those verses that I read, three times, three times, he, Jesus was called by her Lord. She called him Lord three times. Secondly, not only did she confess him as Lord, she acknowledged him as the, as the, as the Messiah of Israel. She said, Son of David. Nobody would have that title except the Messiah. And so she acknowledged him as the Messiah. She confessed him as Lord. And then she fell down on her knees and worshipped him. This woman had already given her heart to him. And this woman has a little girl. And her little girl's not like other little girls. Her little girl doesn't go out and play. Her little girl doesn't go spend the night with friends because she has no friends. Her little girl doesn't have eyes that twinkle and she doesn't have a song that comes out of her lips. She doesn't run. She doesn't make mud pies, she doesn't play with dogs. Her little girl's not like other little girls. Her little girl is possessed by a demon. A demon has taken over that little girl's life. And this woman knows the only person that can help her is Jesus. And now Jesus has come into Phoenicia where she lived. And so this woman comes to Jesus. And she says, Lord, have mercy on me. I have a little girl whom I love, and she's possessed by a demon. And the Bible says, and Jesus answered her not a word. He doesn't look at her. He doesn't speak to her. He ignores. Lord, have mercy on me. And he ignores her. The disciples don't know what's going on, and so they try to get in on it. They come and they say, Lord, tell her to get out of here. Tell her to go away. Send her away. She's embarrassing us. She's drawing attention to us. We just soon everybody not know we're up here. But this woman didn't give up. She was persistent. Lord, have mercy on me. Jesus said, I am not sent. Oh. You see, when he ignored her, 
When he answered her not a word, he was fulfilling the first tenet of the tradition of the elders. The first tenet said, God doesn't care anything about anybody except Jews. And when this Canaanite woman comes to him pleading for mercy, and he answers her not a word, that's what the scribes and the Pharisees would have done. <clears throat> now, he says, I am not sent. That was a phrase that would only be used by the Messiah. The Messiah is the one sent from God. When he said, I am not sent, he was claiming to be the Messiah. Liberals say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, but the problem with liberals is they never read the Bible. <laughs> he said, I am not sent, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because that's what the tradition of the elders taught. The tradition of the elders said, when the Messiah comes, he'll only be for Jews. All he'll do to non-Jews is to kill them or destroy them. Now, you know, if I had been this woman and Jesus had ignored me, and then Jesus said, I have not come for you. I've only come for the house of Israel. I believe I'd have gotten a little discouraged. I believe I'd have just turned Brother Mike and began to walk away. But not this woman. <laughs> this is some kind of woman. When I get to heaven, the first person I want to see is Jesus. Second person is this woman. I, I believe this is the greatest woman in the whole Bible. And this woman, she didn't give up. And she comes again and she says, Lord, help. And Jesus said, Do you think it is fitting for me to take the children's food? And the tradition of the elders said, Only Jews are the children of God, and everybody else is a dog. Do you think it's fitting for me to take the children's bread and give it to somebody like you, a dog? And then the light came on. The disciples knew what was going on. He's playing a part. He's acting a role. He's behaving just like those scribes and Pharisees that we were defending. Beloved, there are some things you can't learn in the classroom. So Jesus took him up there to Phoenicia where this woman was who was not a Jew. She was not a descendant of Abraham. She was a Canaanite woman, had no claim on the promises of God, but she had confessed Jesus as her Lord. She acknowledged him as the Messiah of Israel and she falls on her knees and worships him, begging for mercy and for help. And Jesus says, I am not going to take the children's food and give it to dogs. Now, if I'd been this woman, I'd have walked away, and I'd have said, he's not who I thought he was. He has a reputation of loving people. He didn't love me. He has a reputation of listening to people. He didn't listen to me. He has a reputation of helping people. He didn't help me. 
Now, folks, that would have sealed the deal for me. I'd have just walked away and said, well, there's just not much to it. <laughs> not this woman. Son, I'm telling you, she would not let go. Do you think it's fitting for me to give the children's bread to a dog like you? She said, Lord, truth. I know your people believe we're dogs, and there may be a dog. But Lord, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. <laughs> Great God Almighty, I'm telling you that was something. And look what it says there in verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman. Not dog. You see, the disciples, they'd learned the lesson now. They had seen the, the heart and the lifestyle of those scribes and Pharisees who thought that God hated everybody and was going to destroy everybody that were not Jews. That's what they were defending. That's who they were sticking up for. But Jesus brought us up here and he taught us this truth. And I tell you, they never did forget it. They never got into this mess again. Then Jesus, after he knew the lesson had been learned, he stops playing a part. He stops pretending to be a Pharisee. And the real Jesus comes out. And he says, oh, woman, not a dog. Woman created in the image of God. Oh, woman, great is Thy faith. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. And the Bible says from that very hour, the daughter was made whole. She got what she wanted from Jesus. Great is thy faith. When you get home, your little girl's going to be very different than she was when you left. When you get home, your little girl's going to be laughing. When you get home, your little girl's going to be singing. When you get home, your little girl's going to be out making friends with other little girls. When you get home, your little girls want to know how to, how to make mud pies and play with dolls because the devil is gone. Jesus went to Phoenicia because there was, a, there was a lesson the disciples desperately needed to learn, and they learned it. But there was a woman there that needed him, and she wouldn't give up. Great is thy faith. What is great faith? It has nothing to do with how much faith you have. So don't get your calculator out and start adding. Great faith is not a matter of how much faith you have. Jesus said 
Enough, the faith of, equal to the size of a grain of mustard seed will move a mountain. You can have a grain of mustard seed in your hand, not even know it's there. It'd be so small. But he said, if you have even that much faith, you can move mountains. I've not seen many mountains in Shelby County flopping back and forth, have you? So it's not a matter of much faith. Great faith is faith that is properly placed. It's not the amount of your faith, it's the object of your faith. If your faith is in a preacher, you'll probably be let down. If your faith is in a denomination, you may be discouraged. But I'm telling you, when your faith is in the person of Jesus Christ, there's not any flaw in Him. There's not anything that you will ever have to be ashamed of in Him. He is absolutely perfect and flawless and sinless and holy and righteous. He has all power. He he has all honor. He has all glory. He is Lord. He is master. He is ruler. And if you'll put your faith in Him, that's the beginning of great faith. But not only does great faith mean you have a properly placed faith, it means you have a persistent faith. Man, so many folks today give up. I was... I was Talking to Dr. Carter before the service. I've never seen, I travel all across this land. And I've, I've never seen a day when so many of God's people, church people, fine Christian people. I've never seen a day when so many of God's people are so discouraged and defeated and down. And it's because they've given up. Don't give up. This woman didn't give up. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you've been teaching a long time. Maybe down the hall from you there's somebody that has a class Why people have to sit out in the hall because the classroom is full. And here you have those same seven or eight every Sunday. And here it is almost September, new church year coming, and maybe you thought, well, I think I'll just quit. I think I'll just give it up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Maybe some of you thought about quitting the choir. Well, Brother Bob, my voice is cracking. It probably always did. Don't worry about it. Just come on and keep cracking for the Lord. Amen? Don't quit. I saw all of these folks standing here last night who worked with boys and girls in your church. I want to tell you, that's not easy. Some of them are nursery workers. It's not easy to change diapers week after week, month after month, year after year. It's not easy to entertain little one and two year old children. It's not easy to teach RAs and GAs or uh, Awaners or whatever you may have. I'm telling you, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. Stay in the battle. Don't quit. That's persistent faith. Maybe there's somebody you've been praying for. Maybe a son, maybe a daughter, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend. And they have so much need. And you've prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and it doesn't seem like your prayers get above the roof. It doesn't seem like you've ever touched heaven at all. It seems like God is just ignoring you. And you've come to the point, well, I'm just going to quit praying. I'm not going to pray for my son. I'm not going to pray for my daughter. I'm not going to pray for my neighbor. Don't stop praying. Great faith 
is persistent. Maybe you've been witnessing to somebody. And maybe you've shared the gospel over and over and over and they just won't pay any attention. They're not interested. And you've back come to the point, well, I'm just going to quit. I, I don't want them to go to hell, but I guess they're determined to go there, so there's nothing I can do. I'm not going to say another word to them. Don't quit! I was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Muscle Shoals, Alabama for 11 years before I went to Memphis where I was for 20 years. If you know anything at all about Muscle Shoals, and a whole lot of people don't, but if you know anything about Muscle Shoals, you know it has the reputation of being the hit recording capital of the world. I mean, every major star has come through there and had records produced there in Muscle Shoals, most of them at a place called Fame Studios owned by a man named Rick Hall. There's a brand new movie out. You can see it on Netflix tonight. The title of the movie is Muscle Shoals. It's his life story. I went to be pastor at Muscle Shoals in 1977 in October, and, and early in 1978, Rick's wife joined our church, and Rick started coming to church with her. Rick owns Fame Studios. He's a very prominent name in the music industry. Uh, just a few months ago in Los Angeles, he, he was given a Dove Award recognizing lifetime achievement. And uh, they don't just give those to anybody, I'm telling you. Got all kinds of money, boot coodles of money. And, uh, but he liked to hear me preach. I mean, he would come every Sunday and hear me preach. I would be preaching a revival 50 miles away, and he would come to hear me preach. He loved to hear me preach, and he and I came to be good friends. You know, there are some lost people that love preachers more than Christians do. And, and I don't understand that, but it's so. And he, he just got to be my, my friend. And, and so I, I began to share Christ with him one-on-one. -on -one. I shared with him in his home. I'd go down to Fame Studios and share in his office. I'd meet him for coffee and we'd talk to For years, I shared the gospel with him. I was there for 11 years. And then I left and moved to Memphis. But even when I would come back to the Shoals area, I would, I would go by and see him and encourage him and pray with him and say, Rick, have you given your heart to Christ yet? No. Are are you thinking about it? No. Well, I sure don't want you to get saved now. I don't want you to end up in hell. I don't want my friends to go to hell. Well, it went on like that for years and years and years. And then I came back to Muscle Shows after 20 years at Kirby Woods, and I began to see Rick again. When I would preach, he would come hear me preach. About six weeks ago, six weeks ago, he called. He's 82 years old. You would never guess it. He is in good shape and he does something with his hair that I don't know how to do. <laughs> Got that big handlebar mustache. He said, I want you to come talk to me about my soul. I said, I'll be right there. I got in the car, drove over there, just big palatial home they live in. Knocked on the door. We went out on the back porch, just the two of us. I spent two hours with him. 
I went through everything I'd ever learned. I, all those verses Dr. Gray Allison made me learn in evangelism class, I used every one of them that came up. I, I mean, I talked to him as, as plainly and as bluntly as I knew. Two hours. He said, come talk to me about my soul. I did. And then I said, Rick, you ready to give your heart to Jesus? No. I said, what? He said, no. I said, Rick, I didn't call you to come over here. You called me to come over here. And you wanted me to talk to you about your soul and I have. Rick, you're 82 years old. You don't have a whole lot of time left. No. All right. I said, Rick, I believe someday God's going to save you. Of all my heart, I've been believing that for 36 years. I believe God's going to save you. And you call when you're ready. You call me, and if I'm out of the state, I'll fly back in just to see you call me. Well, about two weeks later, on a Saturday afternoon, my wife teaches a Sunday school class. All of her ladies were there, and their husbands were there. We live out on the lake. We were all eating. I was giving them rides in my pontoon boat. And the phone rings, and it was Rick. He said, Brother Bob, I'm ready. I said, well, Rick, we've got a house full of company. I'll tell you what, I'll be there at 4 o'clock. And when I told the folks what was going on, they said, no, Brother Bob, go now. Don't wait, go now. I said, no, I've danced this dance before. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to let him simmer just a little bit. So when I got to his house, he was at the door waiting. And at 4 o'clock, we went out on his back porch again, and this time his wife went out with us. And I went through the gospel again, and I said, Rick, are you ready to receive Christ? He said, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I led him in a prayer. I, I, now, I know there's some people, they get bent out of joint about that, but that's their problem, not mine. I, I led him in a prayer. I, I said, Rick, you just say what I say, and if, it, if, if, if you mean it, it becomes your prayer. And so I led him in the sinner's prayer, and, and he prayed, and he asked God to forgive him of all of his sin, and he promised to turn away from sin. He asked Jesus to come in his heart and save him. His wife started boo-hooing, and, and boy, when we got through, I was thrilled to death. And then he said, Brother Bob, can I pray myself? <laughs> Why, sure. And he said, Oh God, thank you for reaching down and saving an old worthless rotten sinner like me. Lord, all of my life, all I've wanted to do is live for Rick and make money. And he said, God, you today saved me by your grace. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me of all sin. And he said, Lord, I'm going to spend the rest of my life and my money serving Jesus. Woo! The next Sunday morning, which was Father's Day in June, that Sunday morning I preached for my son. My son is my pastor. I, we're members of the church where my son is pastor, and I'm the only man in the church that ever whipped the pastor. And I did, I did. <laughs> but my son had been at kids' camp all week, and he said, Dad, will you preach for me Sunday morning? And I said, I'll be glad to. And I preached that Sunday morning after that Saturday afternoon experience. And that Sunday morning, Rick Hall came down in the third. They have three services like you do. And they came, he came down in that third service. And I tell you, there was a heavenly hallelujah that broke out all over the place. And he, he publicly acknowledged his faith in Jesus Christ. My son said, Dad, I want you to baptize him next Sunday morning.
morning. And I did. I baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit into the fellowship of our church. And now he's in Sunday school. He hadn't missed a single Sunday. He's there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. I'm telling you, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Properly placed faith and persistent faith usually becomes possessing faith. Jesus said to that woman, Be it unto thee as thou wilt. Well, that's the sermon. It's not a revival sermon. I told you that up front. And it may make you not want to come back tomorrow night. <laughs> Whether you do or not, I'll be here, all right? <laughs> and we're taking up the offering tomorrow night. Please come. <laughs> but I told you, I've never seen a day when more of God's people are discouraged and ready to throw in the towel, ready to lift their hands and say, I give up, I quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Maybe you're like those disciples. You know, sometimes we Baptists, we, we, we just think so much of ourselves. I mean, we really do. We think we're really somebody. And sometimes we need to learn, hey, you're not any better than anybody else. You're not any better than anybody on the other side of the tracks. You're not anybody, any better than anybody that lives in some other part of the world and eats garbage off the street and lives in shanty slum houses. You're not in, hey, maybe we need to learn that. Maybe there's some of you here tonight who've learned that God's grace is equal for everyone who will call upon Him. And we're not somebody because of who we are. If we're somebody, it's because of the one we know. Amen. And that's Jesus. And then maybe you're here tonight and you've been thinking about giving up and quitting, giving out. Why don't you just come here to this altar tonight and just make a fresh start? Why don't you come tonight and say, Lord, I promise you for the rest of my life, I don't know how long I'll live, but for the rest of my life, I'm going to serve you. I may not be able to lift the load I once could lift. I may not be able to work as long as I once could work. But Lord, as long as I'm living on your earth, I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to serve you somehow through my church. I'll teach, I'll sing, I'll give. I'll... But Lord, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. If you've been thinking about quitting, if you've been thinking about getting up, why don't you come tonight and get that settled and get revived and recharged and re-energized and get back in the service of God. And then if you're here tonight and you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, this might have been the weirdest thing you ever heard, but I want to tell you, God loves you. Jesus died for you, and He'll save you just like He saved those girls last night. Jesus will save you. He loves you. Nobody loves you like he does. He loves you more than your mama does. He loves you more than your dad does. Jesus will save you. Boys, girls, teenagers, men, women, if you need to be saved, come tonight, will you? But the altar's open. These are not just steps up to this pulpit. The coat of Alabama steps to the pulpit only have to be two and a half feet wide. These go all the way across. These are not steps. This is an altar. And so why not come? Just say, Lord, I need revival. I need to start fresh. I need, I need a renewed spirit. He'll give it to you. As we stand, will you come?
Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time we've had together in your word. And thank you, Lord, for what you've done in hearts of those who are here. And I pray that people would respond as your Holy Spirit leads them. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you come? Come on right now. Come on. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.